took the Lord together in prayer this morning. Father in heaven, we ask you to bless us now as we give our attention to the testimony and witness of your word. Father, um, I can do nothing. It must be you working through your instrument for the blessing of your people. Your people can pray, but Lord, it is you working in their hearts and making your word effectual there that brings forth the profit of these times together. Oh Lord, I pray um, that you would work through our weakness and show yourself strong by the power and grace of your spirit through the testimony and witness of your word. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and, if you have your Bible, open to Hebrews chapter 13. We're also going to be looking just briefly in the epistle of Peter, but I'll mention that when we come to it. I want to speak to you today, beloved, about your priesthood. Every one of you who has been made a a new creature in Christ Jesus by redeeming faith in his work, believing that eternal salvation is yours through his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary, has been made by him and in him a priest to God. It may seem strange and might even make us a little uncomfortable to think on this reality but because it's part of your inheritance in the Lord Jesus Christ it's important that you know and understand it from an evangelical context for some I think the discomfort that's attached to the subject comes from the association of the priesthood with the old covenant under Aaron and the work at went on the temple which Christ fulfilled uh, by his own uh, sacrifice for others I think some of the discomfort may come from the pagan notions of priesthood and uh, the lewd and perverted abuses that uh, it has in the cults of the world and for still others I think it probably arises from the persistent misuse of the term in various popular churches For many Protestants, it's natural to shy away from the notion of a priesthood because of our Reformation heritage. It uh, draws us away from that idea in a sense. Among some Protestants, it's thought that the whole concept of a priesthood among men was shut down by the restoration of the truth concerning the gospel and Christ's once-for-all sacrifice for sins as our great and glorious high priest. But the Reformation did not establish the end of the biblical concept of the priesthood under Christ. It rather clarified and restored the proper understanding of the work that Christ did in establishing the priesthood of the believer. It demonstrates again that God's word 
or I say the Reformation demonstrated again, that God's word teaches that the priesthood, after Christ fulfilled all the pictures and types set forth under and during the Old Testament period, and before his death and resurrection, no longer belong to a limited number of men set apart to this office from among the Jews, nor was it to be limited to a class of men set aside by some sort of earthly mandate and ordination to office. But it now belongs to all the saints, all the elect, all believers, Jews and Gentiles, under Christ, your great high priest. John, in his revelation of Jesus Christ, put it this way in the first chapter of Revelation. He sets forth the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who loves us and who freed us, or as some texts say, washed us from our sins by his blood and made us, made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And that testimony of glory to God and, and that testimony of how he should have dominion forever and ever is attached to you and I as believers being made priests through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the washing of uh, away of our sins in his blood. He repeats it again in chapter 5. And there the, of chapter 5 of Revelation, there the 24 elders are before the throne of God and they say worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seal for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Well, there it's repeated. You wash them out of every nation, out of every tribe, out of every tongue. And then you made those people, you washed in your blood, priests to yourself. And Peter puts it this way. In 1 Peter chapter 2, and if you have the notes, you have it written out there. If you'd like to turn there, you can. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 2, Peter says, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So here Peter is saying, you've been elect out of the world. You've been chosen to this place in the kingdom of Christ for the purpose of being a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In commenting on this passage, Martin Luther, who we recognize as the, the father in some regards of the Reformation, said this, there, in this passage, he, Peter, cast down the outward and bodily priesthood which had existed before under the old dispensation. 
as also the outward church, which he takes entirely away, as though he had said, that outward institution with the priesthood is all ceased. Wherefore, another priesthood now begins, and another sacrifice is offered, even one that is entirely spiritual. Therefore, those alone are the holy and spiritual priesthood who are true Christians and built upon this stone, the Lord Jesus Christ. So here you sit this morning as priests before the Lord, if you are indeed in Christ Jesus this morning. But what sort of priests? And the answer to that question could take a long time to establish. But for now, I want you to think of it in three aspects, if you can. A few moments ago, Mr. Bill Hart read for us a portion of Hebrews 13. And uh, keeping your place in Peter for a moment, if you're using your Bible, then uh, you might want also to be there in Hebrews 13 as well. But as you think on this, there are three aspects to this priesthood. First of all, as Peter describes it here, it is a holy priesthood. A holy priesthood. And it is holy because we are washed, beloved. Peter says first in, in 1 Peter 2, 5 here, that you are holy. You who believe have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, loosed from your sins, and ransomed by Christ. And this is the blessed state of the Redeemer. John puts it this way in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Paul, after delineating a number of sins common to men and women in, in, in this world, he then says of the Christian in 1 Corinthians 6.11, And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Because you've been cleansed, beloved, by Christ's sacrifice of himself in your behalf. You are not the sort of priest who needs to make any kind of animal sacrifice or any manner of animal sacrifice for your sins for either yourself or for anyone else. So we're not talking about you being a priest in that sense, like the Old Testament priest to, to the people had to come to and, and bring their offerings, and then the priest would have to deal with them, and then, then sacrifice them in some way on the altar or, or by other means. It's not like that. That's not the kind of priest that you are. You are already washed. You are already clean. That was taken care of in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest. A.W. Pink says, his was the sacrifice which fully and forever accomplished that which all the Levitical offerings proclaimed as necessary to redemption, but the repetition of which clearly testified that they had never effected or accomplished. That is, this repetition of offerings in the Old Testament proved that what they were there to do was never fully accomplished because they had to be repeated over and over and over. But we have one sacrifice made for us forever. If you look at Hebrews chapter 13 now, and verse 10, Hebrews says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. 
That is, we have an altar that's different from the altar that was in the temple or the tabernacle. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Our altar, says Andrew Mary, is the cross. And we have had a sacrifice made for us on the cross. And that sacrifice has resulted in our being set apart and made holy. What Jesus, our high priest, suffered, he suffered to sanctify, to make holy a people for himself through his own blood. And if you're Christ by faith today, you're part of that holy people today. And if it's so, it's so not because of what you have done or because of any sacrifice you've made, but because of what he did for you, what he sacrificed for you as your Savior. Paul, in teaching Christians about marriage in the book of Ephesians, says this. It's in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. And often these verses are only referred to in that context, telling husbands how they ought to love their wives, which is good. But we need to pull back and see what it says about Christ and his church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, make her holy, having cleansed her by the washing of water from the word, so that he might present to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. He might present a church to himself in that state. And so when we come forward to him as priests under Christ, we have a holiness that's not a holiness we have achieved by our works or by our sacrifice, but it's a holiness imputed to us because of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. So you're not the kind of priest who has to be making sacrifices in order to justify yourself or or cleanse yourself or anybody else. All who are clean are clean in Christ by his sacrifice. That's why he came into the world, beloved. And it's the reason why he endured the contradiction of sinners and had the iniquity of us all laid upon himself. Again, Pink says, Christ sustained all the transgressions of his people, made atonement for them, removed the same from before God, and wash them from all defilement by his soul travail, bloody sweat, and death. And in consequence, they now stand before the eye of infinite justice and holiness as everlastingly righteous and pure. I hope you see yourself that way this morning in the eyes of God, if you're in Christ. Because it's accepting the reality of this wonderful truth that gives glory to Christ. It's accepting it. When you hold back and you say, no, no, I'm I'm not worthy of this and I'm still tainted by sin and so on. and, and, And you look at it in that way and draw away from what Christ has done from you, you draw away from him. 
That's not to say that we shouldn't be mindful of the fact that we still are sinners and we're still in the process of sanctification and we still need correction and so on. But in the eye of God, being justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, we appear before him righteous and holy in him. And that's to the glory and the praise of Jesus Christ. The priests of old were holy or set apart by all that distinction that was embodied in outward anointing with oil, uh, their ceremonial washings with water, and their adornment and fancy and particular garments. But in this spiritual priesthood to which you were called, the priesthood of the gospel, as one calls it, holiness itself is instead of all those as being the substance of all. You see the wonder of that? That your holiness in Jesus Christ is instead of all those things. And that's what's wrong with people who want to go back to those things. They want to go back to those pictures, to those images, and when they want to go back to it, they're taking away from what Christ has done and what Christ has provided for us. We don't all wash ourselves before we come into the, the building here for the purpose of worship so that we can serve God. Why don't we do that? We don't do it ceremonially now. I mean, hopefully you all washed yourselves this morning. But we don't do it ceremonially. We don't do that because we don't need to. Because Christ washed us in his blood and we are thoroughly made holy in him. And so we come with boldness. Now it's a holy priesthood. Secondly, it's a spiritual priesthood. You are spiritual priests. Looking again in Peter for, for just a moment, you see that he declared that you who believe are a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Everything about the old system of sacrifice was, was tangible and earthly in nature. Um, it's been said, and I think rightfully so, that if we were to be transported back in time to witness what was going on in the temple for the preparation of sacrifices, we would be very uncomfortable with the blood and the smells and the activity that was going on. It would, it would be somewhat overwhelming to us because it's not something we're, we're, we're used to or accustomed to. Everything about that old system of sacrifice was tangible and earthly in nature. But now, beloved, it's spiritual and from the heart. Those who come to God, it says elsewhere in the epistle of Hebrews, must believe, that is, must be convinced in his mind and his heart that God is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Our priesthood is that kind of a priesthood. We believe that God is. And we believe that he's the one who will reward us when we seek him. Who will hear us and will answer our prayers. And we believe it in heart and mind. And it's a part of who we are in the spirit as we walk before the Lord. Jesus himself said to the woman at the well before his sacrifice for sins. He said in John 4, 23, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers 
will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. We come worshiping in spirit and in truth. And perhaps the nature of this work of spiritual priesthood is, I think, best portrayed for us by, of all things, the prophet Micah. So we have the spiritual priesthood described to us, not in a, just in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament as well. And you know these words from the prophet Micah, many of you. Maybe not the introduction, but you know the conclusion. In Micah 6, verse 6, it says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? To carry on a spiritual priesthood and relationship with the Lord. It's even expressed more directly and simply in Psalm 50 and verse 23. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. Not the one who brings in a thousand bullocks, but the one who offers from his heart, from her heart, Thanksgiving to me, that's the one who glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. So you see here the the spiritual character of true sacrifice. Which brings us to the main thought. So it's a holy priesthood. And uh, it's a priesthood that we're set apart to. It is also an active priesthood. You are active or busy priests, or at least you're called to be. You and I haven't been appointed to be do-nothing priests. You had these priests in the Old Testament, and they got up every morning at sunrise, and they, they had orders by which different ones proceeded, and they blew trumpets, and they had ceremonial washings, and they began the sacrifices for every day, and there was all of this work to be done all the way until sunset, and they were really busy, but now in Christ, we're the kind of priests who don't do anything. We are the sit-on-your-hands priests, who are separated to God for nothing. We know that can't be the case, Right? Now your calling, beloved, is very clearly set forth in passages like the one here in Hebrews. And it's at verse 15 that I want to settle and spend the rest of our time. There in Hebrews 13, 15, we're told, Through him then, who's made us priests, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. When he abolished the ancient office by completing the picture in Christ, he appointed all of you who are in Christ to a new priesthood by redeeming grace 
a priesthood motivated by thanksgiving and duty to offer praise. Priests make sacrifices. That's what they do. It's their duty and their calling. And do you see, beloved, how blessed we are in Christ? The Jews of old were privileged to bring sacrifices from all that they had to the Lord on different occasions and for different reasons. But it was no simple thing. It was limited in so many ways. It was limited in regard to the, the fitness of the creature or the crop that was to be offered. Your, your lamb had to be brought to the priest for examination to see if it was appropriate. You had to examine it in your own field to make sure it was a, a fit lamb. It all had to be brought to a specific place at a specific time when the sacrifice was to be offered to the system and means by which it had to be made through the intercession and the efforts of the earthly Jewish priesthood in the temple. All of that limited what was going on. It was a tremendous burden. Even the sacrifices themselves were cumbersome. That would have been for you if you not only had to bring yourself this morning and your children, but a lamb in your car with you today to get here to be able to worship and offer sacrifices to the Lord. Or a sheaf of wheat or oil or whatever it was you were bringing for sacrifice. They were cumbersome. They were difficult to deal with. They needed to be carried or driven to Jerusalem to be offered. But look at you. You can come because of what Christ has done for you. The sacrifice that you bring is the sacrifice of the love and the adoration of your heart for the Lord. And the Lord himself tells you that that is a richer, a greater, a more blessed sacrifice than a thousand lambs or a hundred bullocks. You coming here and offering the sacrifice of praise to him. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verses 9 and 10, it says, In the end, according to this arrangement, the old arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. What your Savior did for you, beloved, was to lift you up to enjoy not the images and the pictures of the truth, but the truth itself. Those sacrifices were so many pictures designed to foretell all that was to be filled, fulfilled in Christ. But he offered that sacrifice, which Christ offered that sacrifice, which has forever satisfied any demand. In verse 11 of chapter 9, we read, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. 
For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of, the, of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, heifer excuse me, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Now, the Jews had the burden of making these sacrifices. But what if you, as his chosen people, as royal priests, were given no sacrifices to offer? You would be deprived of a great joy that those saints enjoyed. Especially those who came with hearts of love and faith towards God. They had the, the privilege and the blessing of of being able to bring their sacrifices in. They celebrated God's worship by those sacrifices. But your Savior would not leave you idle priests. So he calls on you to a continual and active service offering spiritual sacrifices. And how are we to do that? Well, first of all, through him alone. We're to make these spiritual sacrifices through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only through Christ that we can offer these sacrifices, and offering them on any other ground renders them less than useless. They become, rather than a sacrifice of praise to the Lord, they become an insult to his holiness. If we try to bring this the sacrifice of praise to him, we do it in anything other than in Christ's name. We come short of what is required. When you invoke Christ's name in prayer or praise, it's not just a courtesy, beloved. It's not just a phrase to, to make our words sound more religious. At least it better not be. Because our only safe access to the throne is in him. That is, is in Christ Jesus. It says in chapter 4 of Hebrews, this is verses 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize, unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So these sacrifices, how? They must come through him because that's the ground of our acceptance and their acceptance. Secondly, it's because they're in him that it's rendered easy for us. He sanctifies you to this work. In Leviticus 19.2, it says, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. He's opened the way for you and I to come with boldness because of the holiness that he's provided us with. Paul says that in Jesus we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. It, it, it gives us a boldness. Secondly, those sacrifices that we bring, that sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, 
It's rendered perfect through him. You know, in the old dispensation, the sacrifice had to be perfectly presented as well as perfect in nature. It wasn't just the lamb that was to be examined before the sacrifice, but the heart and the intent of the one making the offering and then the heart and the intent of the one who actually did the offering. So in other words, there's a three levels of, of perfection that have to be here. It has to be a clean animal. You have to have a right heart in bringing it. And the priest has to have a right heart in offering it. And if anywhere in that system it breaks down, that sacrifice is not complete. He makes perfect by his intercession what you bring imperfectly. We come together for the worship of the Lord and, and, and if our hearts are tuned to that, we think, Lord, how can I thank you enough? Lord, how can I praise you enough? If I just take one of the attributes of the Lord, how can I possibly grasp and understand so adequately the fullness of that reality of who God is that I can praise him as he deserves to be praised, as he ought to be praised. And I know, I know if I'm sincere in my heart, that it never rises to that level. It never does. So how does it then not become an insult for someone like me to come and try to praise God? And the answer is because of Christ. He makes perfect by his intercession on my behalf what I bring imperfectly to his throne. Thirdly, it's rendered acceptable in Jesus Christ. He bears the iniquity, one put it, of all our holy things. I want you to think about that statement. He bears the iniquity of all our holy things. And we think we're doing some holy thing. But it is not in itself holy without Christ. That's what renders it holy in the sight of God. When you bring even your highest praise to the throne of God, it's far from perfect and adequate. But because it rises as a sweet savor in him, it's made or rendered wholly acceptable. Now when are we to bring these sacrifices? We're to bring them through him. When does this passage tell us we're to do it? Well, it's to be done continually. We're free in him from all appointed locations or seasons and times. You and I don't have to wait till Thursday. Let's sit around. Uh, I can't wait till Thursday gets here so I can thank God for, for what he's done for me. Yeah. You can do it any time, any place, under any circumstance. You can give thanks to the Lord. You can praise the Lord. It's not, it's not limited to a location. You don't have to be in a special place to do it. People have given thanks to and praised God and offered the sacrifices, these spiritual sacrifices, in prisons and on mountaintops. On deathbeds and at birthbeds. There's no limitation to it. But not from diligence and perseverance. 
The idea behind continually is this to be done is to be done through all times and all conditions. That's the idea of continually here. So it doesn't mean just when you think, oh, I, I ought to thank God. It means times when you're not thinking about thanking God, you need to be doing it then too. This is expressed in the words of Paul in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, when he says, do not be anxious. What kind of opportunities do you think he's referring to there? When he says, do not be anxious. Is it when you're feeling comfortable and happy and well provided for and everything's going wonderfully in your life? Are those the moments you feel anxious? No. It's in those times when none of those things are there that we feel anxious. And the cry of the apostle is, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with what? Thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the idea of doing this continually is not just, you know, the fact that you do it unendingly, but that you do it in all times and all circumstances. And what are we to do? Well, the days of offering fruits and animals is over now. Every act of grace in God or love in Christ towards us is in its own obligatory a cause for thanksgiving or obedience to God, says Owen. It's to be a sacrifice of praise, beloved. Revelation 19, verse 5, we read that, And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Alleluia, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. There's this great response of praise to God that goes out like peals of thunder to the glory of the Lord. In this praising that we're talking about, in this thanksgiving that we're talking about here, there is an innocence and an awesomeness that is a part of, of it in its fullness. Um, I, I, it's difficult to find ways to put this into words. This kind of praise that's being called for here, which is the sacrifice of praise that you and I give as, as priests before the Lord. It's the same kind of praise offered by the angels at the Incarnation. Can you imagine what that praise was like? When suddenly the, the sky was full of the heavenly hosts and they began praising God and speaking of his glory. It's that kind of praise that's called for here. It's it was found in the, in the mouths and in the hearts of those who welcomed Jesus on the day of his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It, it was the constant stay of the disciples just after the ascension. It's, it's, we're told that they, they met together and they 
ate together and they loved together and they praised God together. And I can't express, because I don't have the words to do it, the character of the innocence and the awesomeness of this. And by innocence, I mean we're not trying to be uh, clever. We're not trying to be innovative. We are just lost in the praise and the wonder and the glory and the love and the goodness and the mercy and the power of God. We're just lost in it. And we're awed by what it is. And awed by him. In the glory of who he is. And the fact that he's given us a place through the Lord Jesus Christ before his throne. Before this mighty throne of this everlasting God. Who are we to be in such a position to have this privilege of being able to speak his name. Let alone to praise him and to glorify him. And that's the kind of praise that's called for here. Arising from the heart, arising from the spirit. We talk about it as being lost in praise and wonder. And that's really what's referred to here. And you are the priests called to that duty. You are the priests sanctified by the Lord Jesus Christ, set apart by his blood to bring that kind of glory to the living God. That's our calling in him, beloved. We see that it's the constant state of the disciples just after the ascension. And it's heard in heaven. In Revelation 19, verses 1 through 5, John says, After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. <coughs> For his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Praise God, all his servants, small and great. Young and old, male and female. All of you, praise God. Give glory to the Lord. Pink said, our sacrifices are not the fruits of the ground or the firstling of our herds, but the adoration of our hearts and the devotion of our lives. The contrast then is between the outward and ceremonial and the inward and the spiritual. But it's supposed to be audible. It's supposed to be the fruit of our lips that does this. So while it is to come from the heart, it is supposed to rise to the mouth, to the lips. And it is to be an acknowledgement of his name. And this is very simple. When we give this kind of praise, we acknowledge that God is everything God says he is. When God says, I am love, we're right there to say, you are love. You are love. 
I see how you love me. I see how you sent your son to die for me. I see how that love has come down to me through the ages and settled upon my heart now and will go with me through all eternity. Yes, you are love. Is he great? Is he powerful? Is he almighty? Yes. Yes, Lord, you're almighty. I've seen your almighty hand in my own life. I've seen it in the history and testimony of the world. I've seen it in the witness of the word. And I've seen it myself. I've seen the way you have worked almightily in me and in my life in ways I never anticipated, in ways I never thought I'd see. And every mature Christian can bear witness to that. By mature, I mean old people like me. You can bear witness to that, to that reality. I have seen God do things that testify to me that when he declares himself to be almighty, he is indeed almighty. And that's what you priests do. You go along, and whenever one of those names comes up, you acknowledge it. That's right. That's who he is. Is he worthy of all praise? He's worthy of all praise. Is he just? Yes, he's just. And, and you follow every one of those with, a, with an acclamation that you know and you believe it to be true. He's made himself known to you, beloved, for that very purpose. You see, all that testimony's out there. But what you add to it is the witness of someone who actually knows it, believes it, and has witnessed it yourself. Christ, says Mary, has redeemed us wholly for himself. Our lips belong to him, and he claims that we should speak of him and praise him continually. For our own sake, for his sake, for the sake of those who hear us, it is an indispensable element of vigorous Christian life. There can be no continuous joyful life within the veil if we do not, as priests, continually bring these sacrifices. This Thanksgiving may be May we be found offering a constant, awesome, reverent, innocent acknowledgement of the glory of our God, bearing testimony to the wonder of his nature, which is expressed in all his holy name. May we praise him for his redeeming work and for all that flows from it. John Owen said, this is the great sacrifice of the church. The principal end of all its ordinances of worship. The means of expressing our faith and trust in the blood or mediation of Christ. And of giving up that revenue of glory to God. Which in this world, we are entrusted with. God has entrusted you with offering the sacrifices of praise to him, to the world. It's a serious trust. And may God give us the grace to meet it through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how we thank you for this duty. We recognize that we are not worthy of it. But Lord, we have been called to it through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray as those who are sanctified now, we will faithfully carry out our duty as priests and give the spiritual sacrifices of unending praise to you 
in the glorifying of your name before one another and before others. Where we've come short, Lord, we pray for forgiveness and we're thankful that we have it through our great high priest and through his sacrifice. Lord, we do not uh, take anything away from what we have in Christ in that regard. But, oh, Lord, we pray that you would equip us and strengthen us to glorify you. Lord, fill us with your spirit and with your word. And may you be adored throughout all eternity. For you alone are God. And to you belongs the glory and the power forever and ever. In Christ's name, amen.